0: Well, some people like to dismiss slavery like it was nothing. But you see, slavery, it can never be forgotten. Some people not gonna like when I say, but me I gonna say it anyway. We are gonna talk about slavery and the effects of it today. Some people just don't want to know about 400 years ago. But the thing about slavery, it's affecting people now I tell you no lie, when I see a film about slavery Peace, and no welcome to the one Abolitionist one Daily Report here This is uh, April 17, 2015 soul, so Broadcasting body, today, as every see. day I From this domestic colony man, Known see. as the United States of America, behind enemy lines With a report from the front lines of the war against modern day slavery better known to most of you as mass incarceration. This is Johanna and Elia. This is the black talk radio network. Once again, we're finishing up a, a week here of, um, atrocities and inhumanity and slavery. And it has been a, a full week full of, of emotions full of uh, painful truths and facts. Um, some solutions, some ideas, um, but you know it's it's just been another another one of those weeks where we see how many bombs are being dropped on us, and we have to really evaluate our stance on how we're going to counteract this assault. Uh, modern day slavery carries on um, today we're going to uh look at a couple of more reports that are coming out from researchers around this country that are uh, claiming what the new evolutionists have been saying since day one about the DOJ report on Ferguson that Ferguson really is just America um, Ferguson is not an anomaly um, as Eric Holder carefully suggested um, that he hoped that Ferguson was just an anomaly, and the first thing the new abolitionists came out and said that same day is no, no, it's not. And we've been on a fact-finding mission, going state to state ever since, to prove that it is indeed, <clears throat> excuse me, a national reality. And uh, we've got a couple of reports, just uh, two of the latest. There's been several that have come out since then, just showing how it is systemic. This is America What we saw in Ferguson is what we see Everywhere in this country um, So we'll talk about those And uh, just continue to make the case And, and as I promise you I'm going to hold to my word <clears throat> Excuse me, I don't know Why I'm getting clogged up through uh, I'm going to hold to my word That we are going to put together A real Rico case Against individuals Against departments show the systemic uh pattern and practice of racist racial profiling and and racial uh, racially incentivized policing criminality in the in the courts criminality in the law enforcement criminality in in the city government in the in the style of management what they're aiming to do and how that's carried out there's a lot of vagueness that's allowed, as we saw in the in this recent case against the uh, black teachers in the Atlanta public school case, where they were all charged with uh, RICO federal charges, and the vast majority of them got serious jail time, major league fines, and uh, thousands and thousands of hours of community service for altering test results. So I know when we uh, continue to substantiate how people are involved in. Um, going out and racially profiling and deliberately uh, picking on and picking at and terrorizing people of color and poor people and victimizing them, putting them in a position, extorting funds from them uh, systematically extorting funds from them um, upholding, working for, promoting, maintaining institutions where individuals freedoms are taken from them at great financial cost to themselves and their entire communities and their families, all these things are plainly, you know, out here plain to see. So all they need to do is just be organized and put put together in a in a a, a nice narrative with the law of holding it and backing it up, so that you can see the what's happening and then how it conflicts with the law. And then we're going to put our case forward. So this is just more evidence going towards our case. We're also going to uh, go to uh, New York City where we're going to talk about uh, healthcare workers at Rikers specifically, but uh, New York overall, they're rising up, uh, uh, kind of a movement rising up and uh, reestablishing its, its uh, seriousness, you know, about its claim that solitary confinement is torture. And these healthcare workers are. Looking to step aside from being involved in any way. They already see the brutalities and the beatings and they have to, you know, abide by what the, what uh, the practices are. And as we've had our, our abolitionist psychotherapist and, and uh, mental health, uh, activist, George Mallinckrodt, uh, um, on the new abolitionist radio program a few times. He's also, he's down there in Florida and it's something that he talked about with working for Corizon, contracted through Corizon, through the Department of Corrections down there in Florida. As a psychotherapist, and he didn't have training to teach him what was abuse and what was right, what was wrong in the treatment of prisoners and and so forth, so he didn't really know and when he saw these things, he adopted the mentality that well this is this is prison, so this must be how things go and as it just continued to to go on and on and escalate, and he even said himself he just you know it was just as human. You know side of him you know regardless of expectations of the job where he had to speak out, he had to start reaching out he started going up the chain and started trying to get information out and trying to get asked questions and he was getting rebuffed and shut down and shut up and eventually he found himself uh getting fired from that from that contract 'cause he was reaching out and he was asking questions, and he was he was going too far with it they didn't want they didn't want anybody to to ask those questions and to talk about that so We will uh, look at what they're talking about in in, uh, New York City and, like I said, specific to Rikers and what those healthcare workers are going through and why they are saying that they they would rather just wash their hands of being involved with that aspect of, of the job. And you really can't blame them if they don't have any power to change it. I mean, this is the type of humanity that we're asking people to demonstrate, you know, regardless of what their professional title is or what their, you know uh their academic resume has has put them in a position to be the 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 person that does this that and the other you know what about your human resume what about your humanity do you are you still intact with it do you still care that what you're doing is is uh fostering you know some of the greatest levels of abuse against individuals you know anywhere on the planet um so this is what we've been asking for. So, you know, I have to give them some, some shine, give them some time to, to, to have their story heard because this is what I've been begging for, you know, for weeks that do people care? Will, will people try? Um, we got a little, uh, just a, a, a quick story, uh, some news from, uh, hunger strike going on in, uh, Youngstown, Ohio. Uh, some of the conditions going on there, why some of the brothers are finding themselves in hunger strike, some have already broken off this is started we're finding out now this started actually in early April um, in response to uh to abuse of course, and to conditions of course, and to slavery of course the same it's gonna be the same things every time so we'll uh we'll give you a report on that just to get people up to speed on what's going on in Ohio. Um, you know, there's always folks that are looking, you know, what can I do? How can I support? How can I get in? I don't, you know, I'm not an expert at, at this or that, but I, you know, I care. So, you know, what can I do to be a part of, of, you know, changing this, the system, making things better? And, uh, you can support our, uh, our brothers and sisters who are already on the plantations and inside they're fighting for their lives. And a lot of times all they have to give is their lives and sacrifice. To bring about change so we know These hunger strikes are Really the ultimate it's all they have to give I mean they they can't or they should They can Fight but it's such An overwhelming battle to consider And they're not Wanting to Necessarily hurt or bring harm to The jailers that are there they but they Do need attention brought to the situation So you're going to have that conflict Where it's not that they want to kill These people or Go into open warfare with these people and hurt them in all cases, but they realize that nothing's going to change. So, a lot of times they don't really have a choice but to strike. Sometimes fights break out, but we saw what the state is willing to do if people do literally fight for their rights, uh, like in Attica. Now the truth comes out about Attica. Um, where there were so many claims of how, how they had to shoot all the prisoners that had taken hostages and that were, that were striking. They had to shoot them all, uh, because they were in there killing innocent people and, and, uh, cutting people's throats. And then we saw the photos and we're finally getting forensic evidence that's proving that they hadn't cut people's throats. They just shot everybody, friends, you know, friendlies and inmates. And then went in and, and try to make it look like, well, the inmates had killed these people, but they really, they hadn't killed them. They hadn't killed them. That was the New York State police forces that came in to take the prison back. They just killed everybody that was, you know, in there till they cleared out everybody. And then they came out, did a damage assessment, and just figured they'd leave the chips to fall where they were, but they got their prison back. And we still see the brutality that, that marks Attica still to this day. It's a wonderment that that is even a prison that's still open and operational. But then again, it's not like any of the rest of them are so much better because they're newer. So we will, uh, give a look at what they're doing with their, with their strike. Um, a few other news stories that are out. We actually got some degree of detail about John Legend's, uh, free America campaign he's running when it was originally announced there really wasn't any information it just said you know John Legend is a big huge headline about what he's doing and then that was just that so uh, we didn't really know what to expect or what to think or you know what was he going to do with it is it completely compromised before he even gets started is it, is it worth supporting you know, is it going in the right directions? What is he looking at? What is he trying to accomplish? You know, these kind of things were not really available. So we do have some details on that. Our, uh, unexplainable black death profile today is, uh, brother Timothy Stansberry. Um, he was only 19 years old when he was killed, um, back in 2004. And it really was a, uh, another one of these, you know, Another Michael Brown, another Harry Garner, another Akai Gurley, another one of these just like crazy, unexplainable black deaths. I mean, it's why the 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 forum is named what it's named because it's just unexplainable uh, outside of obviously slavery and inhumanity and hating black life and that whole type of thing. But really, that's still not explainable. It just because it is, you can't explain why the brutality. What did black people do? Seriously, at the end of the day, whenever whenever you get done, whenever you get through analyzing and... uh, Whenever you get through, you know... Minimalizing it and marginalizing it and quoting statistics and ignoring what's being asked of you. and I mean, whenever you get through with the logical fallacies and trying to go around the point and all that I mean I just at the end of the day I'm always wondering you know honestly what did black people really ever do to put themselves in this position where globally the expectation is that they will be treated so inhumanely that their lives really don't matter that they is, you know it's, you can just it's, I guess we're just are we so prolific that we just Reproduce so seemingly easily. Is it other races, other ethnicities, have difficulties with you know childbearing or something? That they're envious of us, or or we seem like we can't. We're bulletproof. We can't really be hurt because you know black people are just always going to make babies. There's just going to always be more of them. So I mean, really, their lives don't matter. I don't know what it is that's that's behind this. I don't know historical precedents that would show where, you know black people African people wherever we were in Africa or wherever else we were in the, on the planet I mean we've been here so long we've been everywhere artifacts and information shows and proves pretty clearly our influence all around the planet so wherever we have been and wherever we have built monuments and, and created images of in our likeness and left them you know for, for people to see for thousands of years and did the type of building that we did and created the type of cities and civil civilizations like we had on the continent, you know, in other places, uh, established cultural uh, precedents that were obviously of african influence, you know, in other places around the world. I mean, wherever we've been and whatever we've done, I just don't know where the history shows that we brutalized and and, and destroyed and you know, victimized other people especially to some degree to where still to this day it's just okay to, it's just a mush black life right out of existence I mean it's perfectly fine there's no criminal charges coming against these people not in mass, I mean you get your little pockets here and there one or two, uh, the uh, killer of Jordan Davis he got some time, so you know, whoopee you know, yay, there's been like 300 Jordan Davises before and after him Within a you know a couple of year time period That all are still walking around out here free To do whatever they want to do So um, It's just difficult to understand why This goes on And since I'm talking about that Let me update you on uh, The situation Out of uh, Tulsa With The 73 uh, year old Volunteer deputy Safari hunter old pay to play Robert Bates reserve deputy who uh, we've discussed earlier this week actually paid the sheriff's department with you know generous contributions but that's just paying somebody generous contributions to uh, the sheriff's uh, re-election fund and um, basically paid you know to carry a gun and play cop bottom line and they're coming back now because they're talking about you know the scrutiny over his training and why was he even there and this and that and his attorney is trying to point out you know well thing is he's not out there busting down perps he's not kicking in doors he's not really deep in law enforcement he he <clears throat> he typically will um like stand as stand guard i guess you would say like just stand as a as a uh um I don't want to say decorative, but stand there in uniform, um, at different events and where they have police just kind of like creating a perimeter. He'll stand in, in, you know, in unison or something and just look like a cop, I guess, with them. They claim he's had some degree of, of training, but, um, there's a report that just came out that, that's kind of throwing him back in hot water. And I mean, and again, it's like the, the Smegma situation and, um, with Walter Scott, with the Walter Scott killing. I mean the cop says one thing And then the evidence comes out And proves something quite different And then all of a sudden it's like You know how quickly can we drop this hot potato Because you know this guy is burned now He's We can't lie like we always do To cover up you know our murders This is from uh, CNN It says amid growing scrutiny over whether 73 year old volunteer deputy Who killed a suspect during a sting operation Was qualified to be policing the streets A new report raises a troubling allegation Some supervisors at the Tulsa County Sheriff's Office were told to forge Reserve Deputy Robert Bass's training records And three who refused were reassigned to less desirable duties The Tulsa World Newspaper reports So, I mean, that's pretty big right there Here we go again I just wonder Without raising my voice and getting into my emotions so early in this broadcast today I just have to wonder again, for all of the pitiful, meaningless, victimless, I mean, just ridiculous charges that have been brought against people over the years to justify incarcerating them and justify incarcerating people to the point where we're near about 2.4 million people. There's a million black men in prisons and jails right now in America. This is not some human rights crisis that the world is taking up and and is up in arms trying to. How in the hell do you have a million black men in your jails and prisons? It's a it's a, a general uh, acceptance that somehow they probably deserve to be there. But juxtapose that against. Report after report, state after state, city after city, government agencies from FBI, CIA, DEA, Homeland Security, ICE, the marshals, on down through, you know, local police officers and the Capitol cops. And what they got going on, what they just had, this guy landed a... a, what do you call it not a gyroscope a gyrocopter or whatever it is is—the little like a kind of like a bicycle with a helicopter type propellers on it with this guy he set this whole thing up and contacted secret service I mean he told them I'm gonna fly <laughs> right over the white House so I'll be there in a few days I mean he told them and he continued to buy the materials he needed to create this this uh this this thing he built or whatever and and uh, they knew what he was doing they were watching him they talked to him he said i'm gonna do it they didn't do anything to stop him, didn't act like they cared, and he did just what he said he was gonna do. He flew his little personal flying machine over the White House, uh, no-fly zone. Obviously that's supposed to be like the most strictly enforced no-fly zone on the planet is over the White House, you would think, but I mean, the same thing you would think about people being able to hop the fence and go running down the halls and go into the kitchen and check out what they got in the refrigerators, and we know that was already done. And several other break-ins and, and, false flag attempts at you know showing us how easy it is to get to, to President Obama but you see this type of, of uh, this is criminal behavior I mean he was apprehended alive he like pretty much 99.9 percent of these white guys that carry weapons and present threats and I mean are openly bringing the cops war, killing police officers and when they're apprehended alive to face trials mass murdering dozens of people in public spaces and I mean all these things going on and they're getting brought in alive and you know we get to see the mug shots and they go to trial years later and I mean all this happens black folks get murdered because I thought he well I told him to stop and, and he didn't stop so I started shooting him in the back till he was dead you know what damn it stop the narrative about Michael Brown has become I heard another interview the other day where, where this uh, white guy he's a said so his dad was a cop. Oh, it was uh, Steve Wilcoast, the guy from the Jerry Springer show. He's got his own show. He was on a, a, a radio uh, program, and he's talking about how his father was a, like a 30-year Chicago cop, and then he himself had been a cop for like 12 years before he got into TV with the Jerry Springer thing, uh, also in Chicago. And uh, they were asking him about what did he think about, you know, the crooked cops and about police brutality and all this kind of stuff. And, of course, he toes the line, and, you know, there's – you know, he knew the good guys and the bad guys as far as cops, but there's really not that many. And, you know, it's up to the good guys to keep him in check, that kind of stuff. And then he says about uh, Eric Garner that, you know, they should have eased up when they saw he couldn't breathe. It wasn't like he was doing anything that, you know, deserved deadly force or whatever. And would have been nothing to just ease up and still arrest him or whatever. So he kind of decided with that being wrong. And then he talks about Michael Brown and he starts, you know, narrating the whole thing like he was there. Like, well, you know, when you when you rob a store and then a cop pulls you over and you walk up to his truck and you try to take his gun and you start beating him in the face and I mean I mean what did you want Darren Wilson to do? You know, he he's already got one one side of his face is broken and what do you want him to break the right orbital uh around his eye socket too before he so I mean I think he probably if you if you if you attack a cop you're gonna get shot. I mean so it's it's like you hear these stories and, and we don't know that's what happened and with witnesses turning up dead, you know there was a second witness, right? that's dead now. Right after the uh the non uh indictment, the day or after the grand jury decided not to indict the same day, there was a young black man who was a witness who was found in his car and if I'm not mistaken he was uh he was covered in flammable liquid. He was he was found dead. I think he was shot and he was covered in flammable liquid sitting in uh sitting in a parked car. Dead. I mean this was a witness in the grand jury That just decided to not indict Darren Wilson And now well there's another young black brother Dead and gone And so I'm saying all these things to say Like when when you see what's going on in Tulsa And Okay The sheriff's office uh, Supervisors at the Tulsa County Sheriff's Office Were told to forge Robert Bates' training records and three of them who refused were assigned to less desire. They were taken out of being supervisors. Now, they weren't fired, but somebody caught it and caught the fact that they were reassigned into crappy jobs. It says less desirable, so they were given some kind of job, you know, they wouldn't have wanted. But that's criminal. I mean, at the end of the day, that's criminal behavior. You can't be, you can't do that. That is illegal So we make up stories to justify killing, and then we ignore stories that warrant criminalized criminal uh, prosecution. And I just wonder how many of these stories have to keep coming before I mean, even if you don't want to rise up, okay, I get it, man. You you know waiting on me, uh, Johanna. You fired the first shot. Hey, you 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 out here you leading it or whatever. So I got your back soon as you go and you know you set off the first ordinance you you fire the first shots you get the first heads and and let us know when to go forward in the war okay i feel you i somewhat feel that way myself too i feel like there's people that are in positions with a little more power than i got which ain't hard to have Uh, i feel like there's people in in positions with a lot more uh cash See, if I go star something, I got it. I got what I got, you know, I got the couple clips I got. And then that's going to be the end of that. But there's people that have cash, that have money. And it just never ceases to amaze me in this country how they're able to keep. I mean, I think these people got to be robots or something because they can't be real. They've got to be some kind of clone droid bots or something. How do people have millions of dollars living in this country, this oppression that goes on, this criminality that runs forth, this lawlessness that's going on, the repeal of our legal rights, the creation of new rights to hyper-criminalize us and put the sword hanging over our head of possibility of of slavery at any given time, or just outright murder in the street. I mean, it's pretty simple. You could just get murdered. Hell, they could kill Eddie Murphy right now, and people would be all boo-hoo and crying and sad. It wouldn't nobody do a damn thing about it. He would just be dead. We'd be saying, and, oh you know, man, I can't believe they did that to the brother and do whatever, and then all they got to do is tell you it's something dirt on him. Hell, he picked up a transvestite streetwalker 20 years ago. You know, pull that out and put that, well, you know, he was caught in a late-night traffic stop on Sunset Boulevard in 1987, and it'll be justified that he was murdered. So I don't know how these people with all these millions and millions of dollars aren't kicking it off with america seriously i mean do you know what a person could do what kind of damage somebody could do with a couple million dollars worth of whatever it is they felt they needed to use to go get it done we saw what happened in oklahoma city those weren't wealthy people as far as we know they i mean you can't get fertilizer like that or whatever anymore but that was a pretty grassroots effort that set some changes in in motion in america That let them know what was going on. Now, I believe, looking back, it was probably false flag. But I'm saying, like, true organic, somebody's just pissed off and flips out. What do you need, a million? You could probably go to war with America for at least a few weeks. But nobody does it. So, I mean, I understand if you don't want to do that. But how about just accepting as general practice that there is no law here? If law enforcement doesn't uphold any laws... Then who's telling us that we got to follow law? So even if you don't want to go to war and don't want to kill people or destroy property, accept and promote the the truth that there is no law in America. All we tell you about day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year after year, every single report we tell you is about straight-up lawlessness. From the side that's supposed to be enforcing the law, not from the people. The criminality of the prison guards, the criminality of the police, the criminality of the prosecutor's offices, the pr- the criminality of the judges, and on and on. So, we're going to take our first break, but when we come back, we'll finish talking about what's going on in Tulsa and uh, Reserve Deputy Bates' training records being altered. And how in the hell was he justified to be there with a live weapon? at the scene of a drug sting and gun bust in the first place but we'll discuss that when we get back this is the abolitionist daily this is Johanna and Elia. we will be right back to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And we are back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Alaya here on the Black Talk Radio Network. Before we get back to our story, I'd just like to remind you that we are in the midst of the 2016 Black Talk Radio Network fundraiser. We are uh pushing forward towards our goal, and in that mind, I definitely want to thank all of those who have contributed thus far. It's good to see that little needle move, it's good to see that we've got the little thermometer on the on the landing page. It's just good to see the numbers updated and you know whenever Scotty adds in the the update, I get encouraged like okay, people get it, people care, you know we can do something with this, we can make some things happen, and I definitely want to thank you because some of the contributions have have helped to expand the networks that I'm working with Scotty to to begin here where I met in Kansas City and this is what the model of the Black Talk uh, Media Project is all about setting up individual media projects, state to state, city to city, wherever we're at wherever we need to be speaking to one another, getting out the news, getting out the information setting up community organizations Uh, working from the grassroots, this is a critical time. We're about to be at another presidential election, another general election for 2016. This is the most critical time in history right now because it's right now. We're not in 1861. We're not in 1905 or 1927 or 1965. We're in 2015 on on the very edge of the end of Obama's presidency. Whatever that means to some or whatever, bottom line, he is a, a a a non-white altogether man, so he's he's somewhat black. And there are some things that are going on that are specific to his presidency. There's just no way around that. And I'm not just talking about the slander and the and the, the rash of elected, you know, politicians who suddenly want to use the term tar baby when they dis when they explain you know uh, bills and 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 ordinances that they don't approve of suddenly everything's a tar baby now I'm not talking about that I'm not talking about all the the pictures of monkeys and chimpanzees that have been put out of the president and of of his wife and his family I'm not talking about that I'm not talking about the obviousness of the disrespect towards the office I'm not talking about the obviousness of all these people popping up and running up in the White House and, and you know, breaching security. I'm not talking about the Secret Service uh, laying up with prostitutes all over the world and uh, drunk driving and tearing up cars and trying to hide. And I'm not talking about all of this obvious dysfunction that's going on on his watch, like just disrespecting the office, disrespecting him as an individual, ain't nobody on a top game. I'm not talking about that. When he's gone, there's certain things that are already in place to ratchet things up because it's an illusion that somehow he's come in and made things easier for obviously he's president so black folks must be having it easy now look at what all that he's done for you and of course we can be politically astute and correct and studied and and can show you there really ain't nothing to happen for black people They're the last people on his list of concern has been people of color and they're not going to repeal any of the steps, advancements that have been made for for uh, homosexuals and the gay agendas or whatever. They would never touch any of that. That is not, we're not going to see that happen. Gay marriage is going to continue to spread. I'm not saying any of this to say I'm against anybody or against anything. I'm just telling you what I know and what you can bank on. They're not going to approach the gay agenda. And they're not going to back off of the immigration situation. They're going to continue to look like they're fighting one another but we've already told you what the deal is as long as they can get their 34000 a day and get their money they're going to keep making their money and they're going to keep putting people in there and they're going to let 10 to 11 million currently illegal immigrants give them amnesty and let them be here I don't have a stance on any of this I don't have a problem with this this whole place is stolen what the hell do I look like trying to say it's a stolen individual brought here for slave labor what do I look like taking a stance against somebody else choosing to come here to try to better their life because of persecution that America has let run rampant in their home countries? So they got to go somewhere to try to get some help and get a better chance, so America looks pretty good. A lot of people immigrate to other countries, though, too, so America makes it look as though everybody just comes running here, but people go all over the, all over the world to try to get out of these places of persecution. But my point is that there's other things that are not gonna be addressed and you can watch that. You can bank on that. But I can tell you what's gonna be attacked. As we're seeing it now. There's nobody really trying to help the voter uh voting rights uh act. VRA has been under attack since his re election. And they were given until two thousand uh I think it was was the two thousand fourteen midterms, they were given to rewrite it and come up with a more current uh uh Language in it or Supreme Court was going to Dismantle it permanently And we had the NAACP Legal Defense Fund Working on it and some people along those lines So you're guaranteed okay it's going to get fixed Because NAACP has got this record of You know fixing things for people of color obviously So what I'm saying is Things are going to change here And I would speculate since they never really have, that it won't be for the better. Hell, black people thought Bill Clinton was their friend. And we pointed out here, even on this program, Bill Clinton is the most, (laughs) the most incarcerating president in the history of America ever. And now that the abolitionists are on on the job and fighting in this thing and bringing together superpowers and using our superpowers for good, it's not likely anybody else is going to be able to get away with bringing that many people back in. What we got to do now is take it down. See, it's not it's not continuing to grow like it was in those years when they duped us, when they fooled us. You know, the Darks, the Dark Ray Bands and the saxophone and showing up on Arsenio Hall show and being rumored a ladies man and liking southern fried chicken and being a, a child of a, of a single mother and raised poor i mean man they milked that thing for everything it was worth to make make you feel like you know what he's really basically black and i think it was one of our uh it wasn't maya angelou i know it's not maya who was it um one of these uh black female authors and poets prominent is the one that actually coined that term i believe the the black first black president and we see what he did and so I'm saying all this to say here soon is going to be the end of an era again and we're going to be right back in the fire if we're not in it right now which we basically are Holder and Obama are not friends to black people not for real Obama took a hundred to one crack sentencing that has no scientific nothing back in it it's straight up racism he took the most racist law potentially that there even is on the books And he couldn't just wipe that away. He took it from 100 to one to 18 to one. Why? Why is it 18 to one? Why is cocaine for black people 18 times is incarceratory as as the sentencing length is 18 times longer than cocaine in the powder form, which is seen as being for white people? Why is that? There's no reason behind that. So he's no friend with the people that were let out from the change. Eight, nine hundred people or whatever, or however many people it was, you know, there's hundreds of thousands that deserve to get out. There's no mention of that. Holders suing on the backside to keep people in. So they're not really friends, but we are in a time where all of this is about to be like our last chance to get it right, our last chance to get informed, our last chance to demand something for our votes. The best way for us to organize and do that is to set up Black Talk Radio Network stations in city to city. Black folks have town hall meetings, have come together. I mean, these podcasts, you can put them together. Somebody dedicate a couple hours here and there and put the time together in your city and get this information to your people and and really help to educate and make a way for your future. We don't need to be sitting up worried about what's happening on anybody else's damn television show. We don't need to be concerned with what's going to happen in the, in the Olympics, in the next sporting event, the bread and circuses. We don't need to be concerned with the distracting propaganda. We need to be focused on each one, reach one, each one, teach one. And there's people that will hear this, hear this message that have the finances. That have the the, the technical ability, that have the resources, that have the voice, that have the message, that have the passion, have the skill set to be able to do it, so when you don't do it, what is going to be your report? When you don't do it, what, what are you going to say about the fall of your people, about the fall of this nation? I mean, for better or for worse, it is where we live, so... I mean, if you want to be a good citizen, you should be working to make it better. Cause I don't see anybody willing to tear it down. So, make it better, and this is how you make it better. This is the way. You cannot dispute. Black Talk Radio Network is the way. You just it can't. It's indisputable. If it was some problem, in it some glitch, some you know chink in the armor, then it would be fixed. And we would present it perfect. It's presented to you now. It's perfect. You can do what you need to do with this at a a, a reasonable cost. All it takes is your personal concern, blood, a little bit of sweat, you know, put, get in there and, and do a little work. And you're on the air. You can get the message out. You can get your children's voices out. You can get your church voice out. You can get your business voice out. Black businesses, entrepreneurs come together. Finance experts. I mean, we got—we don't need uh, what's Boyce Watkins, so and we don't need more PhDs. We need more PhDs. We got a whole bunch of big heads, and it's a whole lot of chiefs, and everybody knows the answers and all of this or whatever. Well, come through the Black Talk Media Project and get your voice out to black people. It seems logical enough. So again, thank you to all those that have given. I've seen personally. Working with Scotty, I have seen personally how your contributions have helped this program and helped the network overall. Personally witnessed it. I can attest to it. Yes, it is is being used to help expand the network. And we're asking for all the rest of you who haven't given, make a dollar a month, man. Make a $10 a month pledge. Come on. You cannot go to McDonald's two times in a month. You cannot drink a beer one time you can you can forfeit a six pack for the for the network. You cannot buy a dime bag one time. Come on. You can put off Jordans for another one more paycheck. Just put them off for another paycheck. You can get them, you know, two more weeks. But this week, just you know, hit up the BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com website. Hit up BlackTalkMediaProject.org. You see right on the on the landing page the donate tab. And you'll feel better when you do it. You had them Jordans. You'll be able to wear them. You'll be able to put them in a glass box and save them forever. They ain't going nowhere. But before you get them, just take that 200 right quick and just go on over to the website and just put it in there. And then you can pump your chest out when you got your Jordans on and you, you know, you laying down your Mac and you, you going out to be seen and looking good. Whether you could just also throw that in there to people. Yeah, man, you know, I've been supporting this, uh, black, black talk radio, man. I've been really getting in there in my activism, you know. I'm I'm getting it in. I'm trying to help the community. And you won't be lying. (laughs) We won't have to hear you quoting YouTube videos of whatever committed scholar you listened to lecture thirty years ago about whatever. Because really what is that gonna do to help anybody? The help of the Black Talk Radio Network build your community helps everybody. So, I'm off the soapbox. Thank you for those that have contributed. Please help to those who have not yet. BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com, BlackTalkMediaProject.org. Make a donation today. Make a pledge to Black Community Building. So, before the break, we were discussing the ridiculousness of this 73-year-old man, Robert Bates, Paid to play as a cop, made uh, generous contributions to the Tulsa County Sheriff's Office. So he was allowed to get a uniform and a badge and a gun and play Junior G Man. And he was, uh, he recently, uh, murdered Eric Harris. Right on video, right there. He had no business even in the scene. I don't know what his 73 year old ass was thinking he was gonna do. When you got five or six, buffed out neo-nazi looking white boys tattooed up and buzz cuts and some had mullets and just i mean what the hell man what did he think he was gonna do there's only so much man to jump on man had a man with a knee on his head one with a knee in his back two one on each hand one on each leg what was robert bates gonna do i mean there was literally two four six men on top of this one man who had just ran and ran himself out of breath as far as he could run for. He passed out in the street. He's a drug addict. He's got some mental instability issues he was dealing with. I mean, he was not in shape. He was not some athlete. He was not able to flee. He was shocked that his buddy, that he, his dope buddy, he believed was a, was an actual drug addict and a friend, turned out to be a police informant and had set him up. He was shocked. He didn't know what to do. He just fleed the scene as best he could and it, and it lasted less than a block but he was winded he was out of breath he couldn't do any more he has six men instantly on him and you can see muscles bulging tattoos coming out from under their shirts and everything or whatever so you know they call themselves bikers and hard rockers and whatever and i'm sure they throw plenty of evil glares at everybody they see cuz they you know such billy badasses or whatever uh steroid jacked up in the whole nine yards probably domestic abusers You know the law enforcement community is, what is it, I think, four times as high rates of domestic abuse, uh, abusing their domestic partners as every other type of profession. You know that, right? So this is the tough guys. They go home and beat the wives and beat the hell out of the kids and all of this. And nobody reports. They're scared to report because, of course, they are the cops. So who are you going to tell them? They're going to do the same Blue line BS they do to us when they kill people. They're gonna do the same thing to one another when they beat and kill each other's wives and all this. They're just gonna protect them so they don't even say anything. And if they can survive long enough to get out, then they tell a little bit and this is how we know there are four times as much, there's four times as much domestic abuse in the police profession. High rates of suicide as well. Depression. I mean, the job itself is not really a good job. That's why I struggle with the whole good cop thing. There may be good people who want to work in, in law enforcement. I could go for that. I mean, I've met some. And like I so said, I got three, uh, two brothers in law, one sister. I got a couple of cousins. All of them career law enforcement. I love them. They love me, I guess. <laughs> I suppose. We don't have any beef. Hell, if the situation had been better a couple of years ago, I almost went in uh, on a house with my uh, sister, just a cop, and her husband. They're refurbishing this property, and we talked about it and looked at it. It was just a lot more work than I wanted to to get in into doing. They had some serious, like, structural stuff they had to to handle. And uh, I think they were wanting to pretty it up and just rent it out, and I really didn't want to be associated with that. Um you know, just for future issues or whatever, I wouldn't want to rent that to somebody, and then you got to keep going back. And so I backed out. But I mean, I do, will do business with them and trust them. I mean, wherever we see each other it's typically at funerals. I don't see them like at family dinners. But we're, we love each other. So I'm not like a cop hater, but I just don't think the job is worth a damn. I mean, it, the the history of it, it's rooted in slave catching. So you got a situation where the people that were kidnapped were brought here for slave labor, they needed to be regulated. The law was that you could use these people as slaves. So that was their first law enforcement. And then you got to, you know, keep moving forward a couple hundred years. They come with all these different laws about manumissions and the Dred Scott decisions and, you know, the whole thing. It just kept on escalating over the years. And who was there all the time to put all this into play? Police. It's not like judges just said this just sitting up on a bench somewhere and just said something and then it just drifted off into space. They said it, it went in the law book and then the cops went out and enforced it. So you've got to look at a system where, and this is what I'm connecting this to, this situation with Robert Bates, you've got a system in place where it is not likely that law enforcement has ever had to consider the value of black lives other than stock prices I mean if you really think about it it what what will be the what will be the reason when was the time in the quote from uh, our abolitionist friend Author and, and uh, associate professor of African studies at Princeton University, Naomi Mirakawa, that I like to revisit and read and just keep myself steady on, steadied on on the realities of the situation. When you're talking about police brutality and, and uh, Eric Holder's, this she gave this back when Eric Holder put out the, the new guidelines on racial profiling. But we're talking about police brutality right now with Robert Bates. He's a, he's a paid to be a cop but he murdered a man in a cop uniform with a, with a cop weapon in a cop style and they falsified the reports to even say that he had been trained and we're about to finish with that but i just like to go back to her words she says I think we need to let go of a language of police brutality and let go of a language of police racial profiling because there really is no such thing as racial profiling there is only policing as we know it so you gotta wrap your mind around that there really is no police brutality there really is no racial profiling there's only policing as it has always been here it's not like there was some good and then it just somebody did something bad it's always been bad we're not in a system where police ever did not profile black people it has never been here so that's why we're talking about racial profiling is kind of redundant. Like, the, of course, it's all. The, what do you think police was ever? Racial profiling. There is no police brutality. What was the point of the first police forces? Catching slaves. What did they use? A hook and bill. Bash them upside the head and hook them up at the neck and drag them back to the plantation. It has never been different. There was never any other style of policing in America. See, if we had one thing that we were doing for a while that was humane and honest and had oversight and the community was involved and people knew that the right things were going on and laws were being upheld and this whole based in righteousness to some extent or another, then these corruptions, as we call them, these anomalies of these random killings, these, these brutalities, these could be seen as being outliers and things we needed to fix. Because the system itself is basically cool. It's just this guy that was a rogue. We had a bandit on the force that went off on his own, you know, recognizance and just did these things he shouldn't have done. But that is not the case. We've never had a police force that was not built on brutality towards people of color. Ever. We have never had a police force that was not... Number one concerned with racially profiling. That was the number one reason they were created. Was to profile people by race. Oh, that's a black. Oh, that's a nigger. It's gotta be slave boy. Where's your papers? It has never been any different from 16. What was it? 1638. I think Boston slave patrols. she says to talk about racial profiling is to imagine that there is a such thing as colorblind policing and we have never had anything like that and as I said the other day we got Naomi Mirakawa, Asian American we got Angela Chan Asian American both of them women and they are putting out more powerful statements speaking truth to power more fearlessly more responsibly willing to stand there with their back straight they still got their jobs they're not being sanctioned. They're not being their heads aren't being called for on a platter. We got the judge, the brother, I forget his name, uh, I think he's in South Carolina, the uh brother that or maybe it was Kentucky, anyway, that was speaking to the parents that did uh sent in a, a victims impact letter to the to the you know court over this case where this uh black man had, had uh did a home invasion and terrorized them and they were talking about how they wanted him you know, to be gone for life and they, they, how to terrorize them and they could never get better and how their three-year-old daughter is afraid of black men and you know, at, at the sight of a black man, she breaks down and cries and she's cowering and they just don't know how to comfort her. She's going to forever be impacted by she will never like black people after this. And on and on they lay it on thick. And the judge is a black man. And he's just like, you know, this case is a problem. And obviously, you know, the guy shouldn't have did what he did and he's going to pay. But this statement is ridiculous. This is a little baby child. How in the hell are you going to sit up here and promote this in a child, this racial hate and this race bias, and try to put that in front of me in the court and try to use that to help justify my sentencing of this individual? Like, shame on you. And that's all he said. And they want him to step down. They're trying to take his job. His life is probably in danger. How dare this black man speak about an issue that applies to him he's a black judge and he come walking in the store and then here's this little girl falls out flips out has a tantrum freaks out oh my god she's a potential person to go into the future to be claiming some black man raped her some black man robbed her hell we see right now black folks can get murdered in a heartbeat over a 911 anonymous phone call there's been several in just the last couple of years what do you think happened to Tamir Rice what do you think happened to John Crawford? And on and on and on. It's just some white person, just like Emmett Till days. I, that, he scares me. What what happened to the Indian, the old man? Went to go live with his son, and his daughter had just had a baby. His uh, daughter-in-law had just had a baby. The baby was sickly, I think, and the son was in, like, Ph.D. classes or something. He's trying to finish his degree, and he was debating leaving school. So he could, you know, work more and be at the house more and, and you know, take time off from school so they can get over this hump with the baby and just get some things stabilized. And and the father, you know, retired Indian man, like a real, you know, dot Indian, uh, he came over, came to America, came to live with the son, like, you know, I'll be there and I'll help with the, with the daughter and I'll help with the family. you got to finish your education. That You have to do that. So I'm going to come support you. He steps outside of the son's house Suburban white neighborhood Cookie cutter house Cul-de-sac looking same old stuff He steps outside of the house Some neighbor calls the police There's a black man walking around He looks threatening This is like a 70 year old dude With a cane limping around What did the police do? Show up Start questioning Man don't speak no English He says he's he's I think he was like pretty close to the house He was living in Like he's either in the driveway Or maybe one house over or something He's pointing to the house he says no English cop grabs him choke slams him like he's John Cena or somebody breaks several vertebrae in the man's back paralyzes him damn near kills him cause some white person called the police and said there's a suspicious non-white person in my neighborhood so you have these Asian American women that make these statements they're allies to the abolitionist movement they make these statements speak truth to power very clearly very openly they're not being ridiculed, you don't hear anything so there's a problem in America of black people can't even talk about the issues facing them you're racist, you're race baiting I don't think we need to bring race into this Walter Scott gets murdered like this do you really honestly think Officer Smegma would have sat up here and shot a 13 year old white boy in the back if he was wanted for murder this little bastard could have killed his whole family and been looking for him, and you know what he would have done? Got down on his knee. Come on, son. Come on, let's just talk about it. This you know, you're not into you're not in trouble. I just want to help you. Let's talk about it. Come on in, son. He saw a Negro with a traffic warrant. I still haven't seen blatant evidence that said that the man was wanted for child support. I think he was in a situation that a lot of us have been in, or a lot of us are in, where he knew he had some child support he owed or whatever, he didn't know what he could do. I don't think that that was really at the heart of that. I haven't seen that put out there. You know, if they had it straight up, that he had the warrants issued, then they would show that. And it, that, and that, that's what the cops saw. I'm saying, cops said he pulled him over because of the center uh, brake light in the rear view in the rear window glass, the, the high mounted stop lamp, wasn't uh, wasn't working, so he pulled him over. And then he was acting as a uh, Geraldo said he was acting hanky and and janky and kind of something wasn't right to begin with. So he had the cops, you know, hair raised on his neck. He was already thinking it was something going on. Then the video comes out where we see that this cop has been beating up black folks for a long time. Snatching people out of cars, beating on people's doors, dragging them out their house in the middle of the night, tasing the hell out of folks, abusing people. And he turned it up a notch, just like a serial killer. Killed, what did they say, Dahmer? Killed the squirrels around the house when he was a kid. Killed some rabbits. Killed the family dog. And uh, one day he's like, you know what? Might as well step it up. Start eating his co workers. So, we're going to take another break. This is the Abolitionist Daily. We'll be back to wrap this up and, and keep it moving. We'll be right back. You are tuning in to the Black Talk Radio Network. We are back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elia here on the Black Talk Radio Network. Just want to uh, make sure that you know that the phone lines are open. And we welcome your call your questions, your concerns. Area code is 712-775-7035. The uh, code is 367526-POUND. You hit star six and the number one, and you will be on the air with us to share your thoughts and opinions about what we're discussing. And uh, we've been discussing Robert Bates and not just Robert Bates exclusively, but just the system of policing that we've had. And we've been we've been talking about just the, the, the basis of it in criminality, the history of it in abuse and profiling of people of color is what it's built on. And uh, building up to the point of, you know, talking about this criminality in the police department, how this 73 year old man, a volunteer who had paid the sheriff's department to be to become a volunteer, to become a cop. Basically went on safari. He had a lifelong, I mean, clearly he didn't have any, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, He wasn't, he wasn't averse to the idea of shooting a man of color. Clearly, because he did. I feel like it's pretty safe to say that had they busted some white girl on the exact same case, she shows up, hops in the, in this, in this, uh, Informant vehicle with the camera rolling and pulls out a pistol that she got from her black boy. What if they? What if the black dude? What if Eric Harris had had used his white lover or white drug partner, girlfriend, whatever, to do the delivery and was standing in the background and watched to see was it going to be okay and sent her in to do it? Not saying he had one, but I'm just you know speculating. Do you think that uh, the cops would have felt it necessary to shove her face in the pavement and? smash her in the back and bend her arms and legs at the joints. And and do you think Robert Bates would come up behind her and think he needed to tase her when she's got six men on her? When she looks like his daughter? When she looks like his granddaughter that he loves? Do you think Robert Bates 73 years old would have had it in his heart to make a split second decision in the, in the heat of battle like that to To see a white girl on her stomach with six men on her back brutalizing her and forcing her to comply, you think he would have been able to do it? To reach for his taser and, oops, it's my gun, but oh well, the hell with it, pow! And shoot that little white girl in her back like that? Because if you think that he wouldn't have done that, then he's guilty of murder. Because he thought, I'm going to shoot this black man. He had a premeditated thought. He had a pre pre prejudged bias. He already had a, this, a thought in his mind that it would be okay to kill a black man. And I think it goes a step further. I think he wanted to. I think he ordered one. I think he paid his money and he went like it was, uh, you know, subway or something. When you walk down a little line, he like, well, what do you want? Oh, I think I'll have a, a, a nigger face down. And um, I think I'll have uh, several cops holding him. Uh, to be sure he doesn't actually cause me any threat. Um, yeah, I'll take that. And, um, hmm. I think I'll take, uh, an excuse of, I, I thought I was grabbing my taser to get me off from it. And, uh, and, and I think that'll complete my order. Okay, buddy, we got you. And they built his, his order for him. Why was he there at a drug, st- at a gun sting like that? Why would he even be there? He was there to pick up his order. <laughs> yeah, we got one. We've been working on for a few weeks. Yeah, this guy's a total... Yeah, he's a piece of crap. Yeah, he deserves to die. Definitely. Drug addict. Criminal. Straight up thug. Yeah, he deserves to go. And ain't nobody's gonna miss this guy. I mean, when we get videotapes and audio tapes and emails and and personal handwritten letters and diaries and... <laughs> and on and on and on from all over the country of these cops and how they really talk hell they fired what nine cops in San Francisco one of the most liberal places in America they got rid of the cops in Florida and a few different places they had to vacate all of these damn uh, arrests and convictions of people down in Florida for the cops being straight up racist and filming racist videos and I mean The the guards in the uh, Florida prisons, cops in Arkansas, cops in Texas, cops in New York, cops in New Jersey, cops in Boston, cops in Los Angeles. I mean, everybody. What do you think Christopher Dorner was going off about? So we got plenty of evidence. We got as much evidence if it was a show like Cops, which was meant to show black and poor people trying to buy crack rocks and it plays for 15, 20 years to show you every Saturday night you just keep seeing black folks and poor folks trying to buy crack and meth and getting busted down so now in your mind you will always have this repleted uh, image of criminality represented by black and poor so you believe black and poor what if we had a cops that was really about the cops and for the last 25 years we've been pumping in your brain you was rushing to the TV 8 o'clock Saturday night America's Most Wanted and Cops. It was about the real Most Wanted and the real Cops. and just showed you the same. It was a, this is basically just like an abolitionist daily, just like a new abolitionist radio program. Tag team, Saturday nights. What if we had that? Would you believe a word coming out of a cop's mouth ever? Would you believe it was beyond a cop's scope of, of thought and, and ability to work with a 73 year old old racist white bastard like this some old man he you know from the neighborhood or whatever some old man it, I mean, they know this old man some of them young cops know this old man it's, that's their grandpa's hunting buddy or something that's somebody's friend hell he could be one of the grand wizards in their local KKK lodge for all we know that just ain't come out yet but see like Michael Brown they go find everything they can to tell you about what's going on, about everybody involved. Oh, well, he was suspended from school in ninth grade, and that was really what the beginning of his problems. You know, Jesus trouble young man. He stayed in and out of trouble. He was on probation for and then he got caught doing and then there's these photos of him. Oh wait, those aren't photos of him. That's not even the same black guy. Oops. Well, anyway, let's just keep him up there. He just starts smearing these people. I haven't heard anybody talking about Robert Bates' KKK affiliation. He's in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He's 73 years old. He knows somebody in the KKK, so they need to uh, connect him to the KKK because he knows somebody in it. See, Michael Brown was throwing up the peace sign standing on his steps, and there's been like a 1,000 other black folks, and even white people taking pictures with black people. They put up the John Lennon, the peace fingers. Amy Goodman, Democracy Now!, the peace fingers. (laughs) And what Negroes do, it is gang signs. Well, you see him here. He's wearing gang colors, and hes he lives in St. Louis. He was a Cardinals fan. He had on a red St. Louis Cardinals hat. I've seen a million white people wearing St. Louis Cardinals hats. Where was the gang affiliation? He was sitting up, putting up the peace sign, standing on his own front steps at his house. He's throwing up gang signs. It's pretty easy for black folks. Why ain't Robert Bates a KKK grand wizard? Until he proves he's not, I think we need to throw that in there. I think we should throw that in the narrative. He's a 73-year-old white man from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Tulsa is one of the hubs, one of the strongest, most racist hubs. Hell, I used to work with a racist white man that had White Pride Worldwide tattooed on his back. That kind of white man. He got it covered over with another tattoo a little bit later in his life, but he, he had that in his heart. He moved down there to Oklahoma City, had a great job he left the job we worked at together and went down there and had a great job making big money decent you know like deep into six figures big money he had like a 250 thousand a year salary that kind of money with all kind of perks and percentages and all kind of stuff whatever he was paid he was paid up here he had a fat house and a lake and all that stuff up here. He was a boss. But he went down there to, to get even more money. And them racist white boys wore him out. He came back and told me. I mean, he did, we didn't hate each other. We worked together okay. He was a little weird. But we did our job. We, we got along enough to do the job. Because he liked money. And I made him a lot of money. And he came back from down there and told me, man, whew, them boys is rough down there. They, I mean, Damn so anytime you got a white man that's got white, white pride worldwide tattooed on his back that's how strong he felt about it in his youth now he's you know older guy now probably 50 or something now he says he's had it tattooed over but that's how he felt in his heart at that time when he got that done that's who he is and he came back from down there cause it was geez, man it's, it's pretty rough they're pretty blatant dude it's pretty bad yeah Oklahoma's one of the leading incarcerating states, one of the leading overpopulation for incarceration, one of the leading for black folks, one of the leading for non-whites, all the same stance. Oklahoma's in the top two. Thing taking those shorts. So all of this goes to the narrative, just like you can go to Ferguson and say, "Oh, this is a poor black community." So obviously Michael Brown was a criminal because that's where the crime... I mean, you heard Giuliani say there's more cops doing more policing in black neighborhoods because there's more crime there. Okay, so there's more KKK and more racist white supremacist murders going on in Tulsa because, well, there's more white supremacist racist white people there, right? By Giuliani's logic, isn't that how it works? More cops in more areas where more black people live because more crime happens. If you want the cops to stop killing black people, you want the cops to stop being the over-policing and, and profiling and, and terrorizing and kicking in your doors and, and roaming the streets all hours of the night and keeping kicking up dust where you live. You want that to stop? Well, then stop crime. Well, you know what? If you want us to stop calling out KKK, calling out racist white supremacists as murderers when they do this type of thing, then uh, in Tulsa you need to get a hold of your KKK problem. You need to get a hold of your racist white supremacy problem because Robert Bates is a KKK member. I'm putting it out there. Trayvon Martin was a gang member, wasn't he? Right? Oscar Grant was a gang member, wasn't he? I mean, you justified killing these people because they were gang members, didn't you? So we're going to justify calling this old bastard a KKK racist piece of crap that he is. Because at 73 years old he knew better At 73 years old he saw that black man on his stomach With six cops on top of him How did he even shoot in between all the cops How did he miss the white flesh To hit a a, a straight up shot bow To catch this black man in his back How did he do that So the police department down there is in trouble now, and it's criminal. But of course, there's no criminal charges coming. They changed his records. Claims that the volunteer dep- deputy's records have been falsified emerged almost immediately from multiple sources. Bates claims he meant to use his taser but accidentally fired his handgun instead. Newspaper story does not say who allegedly asked the supervisors to falsify the training records or why, but the orders apparently started years ago before Harris's death, back when Bates was trying to get on as a deputy. The sheriff's office denied the allegations in the Tulsa World's Report. It also declined a CNN interview at the time uh, to respond to these claims. In an email to CNN, the department's major, Shannon Clark, said the lack of named sources in the newspaper's report leaves him dubious. Just keep in mind that the Tulsa World Reporter cannot validate her sources and claims anonymity, which leaves us skeptical that her claims are unsubstantiated and deceptive. Clark Brewster, an attorney who represents Bates, said the accusations are based on an affidavit from, affidavit from a former sheriff's office employee who's now facing a first-degree murder charge. I don't put a lot of stock in that report or the credibility of who would further that report, he said. In a later interview with CNN, Clark cast further doubt on the document, which is the name of the accuser blacked out. If you're telling us we did something, then why can't you tell us who the person is on that affidavit so we can go back and confirm that information? Sheriff Stanley Glans and other sheriff's officials have reportedly uh, insisted that Bates was properly trained. Tulsa County Sheriff's Office has released a summary of Bates training courses only over the past seven years. The office rejected CNN's request for the full training records because Bates' case is under investigation. It's been reported that they've run into several of these same type of obstacles when asking for the names of supervisors who signed off on his training records. You would think that the sheriff's office, if in fact there has been no pressure applied, no falsification of records, that they would just be forthcoming with these documents. We've asked for them, and they said they don't believe that they're actually public records. See, that's the thing. If what they're saying is the truth, the the police department, the sheriff's department, if what they're saying is that this is unsubstantiated, this isn't true, then it should be pretty obvious they should be able to just produce the records and shut it down. But their response is, well, these aren't public records. Well, this is a public, a private citizen. How is it not public records? He's not an actual cop. He's a dude that made donations to the sheriff's department that they said, okay, well, you can come be a junior G man on the weekends and, you know, work parade detail and see what it feels like to be a cop for whatever reason you want to do that. I mean, shouldn't you try to cycle analyze somebody that I mean, if you're saying that this is such a dangerous job. And these people deserve to go home every night. These people are facing death at every turn. It's, a, it's, a, it's like the most dangerous job in the world. When in fact, it doesn't even make the top 50 most dangerous jobs. It doesn't even, it makes none of the top lists. The most dangerous thing to a cop doing his job is damn fried food and donuts. Heart attacks kill more cops than anything else car accidents kill more cops than anything else falling off of ladders and falling off of desks and chairs in the office kill more cops than anything else see they report those statistics they don't report how many people they kill but they report those statistics and it's readily available for you to google it right now while I'm talking while you here to just go google what kills the most cops even on the police websites, where they talk about it, they try to pump it up. You know, when they tell you about the people died in the line of duty, got shot, whatever, they make it to be the real big deal. But they can't even lie about the numbers. The numbers show what they show. The most deaths occurred due to heart attacks. The most deaths occurred due to car accidents. So why would you take a seventy-three year old man and let him be in this most deadliest job like this, and let him do this? Well, why wouldn't you try to dissuade him? Come on, man. This this is pretty rough. We getting injuries. We getting shot at. We fighting against the the, the the most criminal element out here. I mean, you could lose your life doing this, pops. Come on, now. Just you know, just have a beer with us at the cop bar and let us tell you our war stories. Wouldn't that be better? I mean, we appreciate the donations, but you don't you don't want to be out there in the in the in the field. No, they go ahead and give them a badge and tell them, come on in, we got you, don't worry, but ain't nothing gonna happen. It's all that talk about how they, ah, it ain't really that bad. And nobody ever shoots at us. I ain't never seen nobody actually pull a gun out and aim it at me, even though I've killed five people, but, and I said that's what they did, I was lying, that nobody pulls out a gun. Nobody pulls a gun on you, on you for real. Nobody really tries to run you over. Nobody wields a knife at you. Nobody farts in your general direction. You'll be safe. Come on in. We got you. Why would you let a 73-year-old man even be a cop if it's so damn dangerous? Says Bates was classified as an advanced reserve deputy for the sheriff's office. That means he would have had to complete 480 hours of the field training officer program to maintain that classification. Bates would also have needed firearm certification training, like the kind that teaches you the difference between the taser and a pistol. But the sheriff himself has acknowledged that there is a problem with Bates' gun certification records. His office can't even find him. Bob went out and qualified with three different weapons as an instructor. With an instructor, Glance told uh, KFAQ Radio. He said, Bates qualified with a young lady that was a firearms instructor, but she's no longer there. She has left the sheriff's office and is now a secret service agent. We're trying to get a hold of her and talk to her about it, but we can't find the records that she supposedly turned in, so we're going to talk to her and find out if for sure he did qualify with these. Is this any, is this even real? Even before the Tulsa World story, inconsistencies were apparent in Bates' history with the Sheriff's Office. In his statement to investigators, Bates said he became an advanced TCSO reserve deputy in 2007. But the Tulsa County Sheriff's Department Sheriff's Office has said Bates has been a reserve deputy since 2008. It also says Bates had undergone 300 hours of training. That would be far less than the 480 hours of field training that the Tulsa World is said is required to be an advanced reserve deputy, which Bates claims to be. In a statement he made to investigators after shooting, Bates said the gun he used was his personal weapon, adding that he last qualified at the range in autumn. He also said he'd attended numerous schools and seminars related to drug investigations in the tactical operations associated with the apprehension of suspects involved in drug trafficking, a five-day homicide investigation in uh, school and in, homicide investigation school in Dallas, and training from an Arizona Maricopa County Sheriff's Office, Old Arapayo, on responding to active shooters. So he he studied under Sheriff Joe, but an Arizona official, oh, hold on, an Arizona official told CNN base never trained with their agency. He didn't come to Arizona. And he certainly didn't train with us. Uh oh. Sheriff Joe don't want you. You must really suck. Brewster said that in line uh, that in line base statement was referring to a lecture given at a se- damn man. So now he didn't go get the training. He went to a lecture. He heard about it. He went to a lecture given at a seminar in Washington by Maricopa County Sheriff Joe Pyle. The seminar was part of an extensive training uh, base received at classes across the country and through work in the field he said he met every training regimen Brewster said he met every requirement and all he did was give of himself he gave he dug so deep inside himself because he just wanted to make the community safer damn it it ain't his fault he killed this man he was listening to judge Joe uh, sheriff Joe rather at the at the at the seminar talking about active shooters and and and, and all and his training kicked in. It's not his fault. He went through the training. He met all the requirements. For God's sake, man, leave the man at peace. Base is now charged with second-degree manslaughter for Harris's death. He turned himself into authorities, posted a bail immediately, 25 Gs. His attorney said he's not guilty calling the death an excusable homicide. Well, damn. The lawyer for Harris's family claims Bates was not qualified to be on the force, but received preferential treatment because he'd made donations to the agency and was a friend of the sheriff, an accusation accusation that officials deny, saying they stand by his training record. Tulsa Police Sergeant Jim Clark, who has been brought in to review the case, has said Bates fell victim to something called slip and capture, a term to describe a high-stress situation in which a person intends to do one thing and instead does something else. Boy, I'm going to tell you what. If you don't get your blood churning and boiling and get off your ass and do something about these bastards, they're going to just keep doing it. Either just say you like it and you're cool with it and you're not going to fight and then quit listening to me. Get away from me. Because it's likely if you are going with this and you're not doing nothing about this and you don't care about this and it don't mean nothing to you, it's likely that you got more to worry about about me getting there on you than your friends is going to ever hurt you. They ain't going to do nothing to you. You're exactly the type that they like. But I'm against all of it. I'm against you that don't care as much as I'm against them for doing what they're doing. This man comes out and says after somebody, see, this shows you how worthless black life is. So this is when when my white friends come in and say, well, really all lives matter. When, when you post black lives matter, when you tweet black lives matter, when you dare say the word, well, you know, black lives matter and they want to meet it. Well, you know, all lives matter. Well, okay. Sure they do. But obviously some matter more than others. So we need to remind you that blacks matter too. And you'd be happy that we're reminding you with words because you should be getting reminded that black lives matter with slugs in your face. You should be getting a reminder to Black Lives Matter with eight shots, five of them hitting you in the back like Walter Scott. You should be getting the Black Lives Matter reminder getting choked the hell out like Eric Garner. That's the reminder you should be getting. That's what you asked for. Eye for an eye. That's the only thing that these kind of people respond to. All the laws on the books don't mean a damn thing to these nutballs. These damn sociopaths do not care about written words on paper. They like to feel blood coursing through the veins of individuals that they are choking the life out of. They like to feel heartbeats slow. They like to shoot people and then walk up to them and touch the holes and touch the blood. Feel the life draining out of the person. They like to stand there and watch somebody needing CPR and not give it to them and just look at them. Look at them. They like that. You think I'm joking, but I'm dead ass serious. This is what they get off on. They like to look at black people lying there in the last moments of their life. It's why they used to have lynch mobs. It's why they went kidnapping and bringing black folks here to be slaves, murdering them and raping them and terrorizing them in the first place. There ain't nothing changed. Robert Bates wanted that feeling it's a high of some sort maybe it's a sexual release I don't know it's something that they like about it to be the last face that a black person sees as they about to die That's they get off on that look right here nigger look right here look at me look at me boy look at me yep yep it's, happy. Yep, it's going he's gone oh, he's gone <laughs> He's gone. Yeah, that. That's it. That's it right there. Don't believe none of that other mess. I'm so sad. This is a tragedy. Man, get the hell out of here. This ain't no damn tragedy to you. A tragedy would be your little seven-year-old son. A tragedy was John Bonet. Remember how the world was all behind John Bonnet Ramsey died and the whole world had to stop so we could figure out did her daddy rape her and murder her? So those are tragedies white deaths white babies white women these are tragedies we got to stop the whole show we got to hold on whoa, 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 whoa. how did this white woman die that don't even sound right up Call, we got to do an investigation somebody's guilty of this because there's no reason for her to have died her, her life will not be meaningless she will not die Natalie Holloway well damn International investigation. She's down here, whoring doing whatever she want to do, minding her own business. She got caught up. It's pretty simple, but they didn't stop till they found it out and they pieced it together. We had 15 specials and two movies and on and on and on. This brother, Eric Harris, gets gunned down. Uh, well, you know, the guy that killed him, he's a, he's a victim. Yeah, you know, we got a thing we call uh, slip and capture. Uh, you know, when it's real high stress. When you got the prey down, you got six men on top of the prey and and, uh, and, and you reach for your weapon for, for, for some unknown reason, you don't really don't know why you re- reach for a weapon, because there's six men on top of this man but you reach for a weapon and you think it's a taser, because you just want to shock him you want to send 50,000 bolts into him just to make sure he stays down, but then you realize all too late when you pull that trigger, you know, they're both made of plastic, it, it seems that the weight is not the same at all, but you know, you got bullets in, in the magazine of a Glock. You got a taser. It's two totally different weapons, but it seems like it's the same thing in the heat of the moment. And you pull that trigger, and now you just killed a nigger. Yeah, yeah, that's what we call that. That's what that is. It's, it's called slip and capture. It's a high-stress situation. That's what we're dealing with, y'all. It's high stress. It, it, he didn't know what he was doing. He, he was under stress. He didn't know why he did that. It's it's high stress. It's a controversial claim that hasn't convinced, crit, convinced critics of the department and calls for an independent investigation into the sheriff's office, and the case are growing. Earlier this week, the office spokesman rejected any idea of outside investigations into the shooting. We're not scared to prosecute our own, he said. There's nobody in the culture that can be tougher on cops than on their own. You know that that analogy that you eat your own young, young. You know that's the same thing in law enforcement. If we have a dirty cop in our ranks, we'll disclose them much quicker than the media. Yeah, right. Okay. So there you have it. That's the BS surrounding the murder of Eric Harris and the the paid to play cop, wannabe cop Robert Bates in Tulsa. We're gonna take a break, jump into our other stories here before we run out of time, and uh bring up the unexplainable black death profile for today. Timothy Stansberry. We'll be right back. Survive, drop it. The the rhythm, the rebel. Don't believe the high. So now we can do it. Here we go again. This is Brother Elliot, first of time for an awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium. We are back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elia here on the Black Talk Radio Network. We're uh, moving forward in the news. Uh, the phone lines are open. Area code seven one two seven seven five seven zero three five. The access code is three six seven five two six pound. His star six and one. You could be on the program to make your comments, ask your questions. If you hate me and what I am talking about, please call in so the world can hear it. I don't care. It don't bother me what you say, because I am looking at people dying every day, whether it's in the prisons or on the streets on their way to the prisons. So that's where I stand. Just so you know. I don't right give a damn if you don't like what I'm talking about. And I'm talking to some certain people who we know you listening. I get the messages. I get word. I understand there's some people that are upset. I don't really care. Stop killing people. Stop torturing people. How about you get on the side of righteousness? How about you see, you check, you reach down in there and see if what you got between your legs, if you got enough manhood... To stand up for truth and for righteousness As opposed to sitting up here going along complicit With the history of your country And your forefathers and what they did Straight up genocide That's what I'm about I'm about standing up for my people I'm about standing up for right So if you don't like it Please call I'd rather talk to you I'd rather at least let you talk I I won't even respond Say what you want to say so the people can hear How crazy you are Pro- I will not debate you. I won't say a word. You say whatever you want to say. I'll give you a few minutes to talk about it. Call in and, and tell me to shut up and you sick of it and you hate it and I'm a racist and everything else you want to say. You see, on my side, ain't nobody getting murdered. On my side, it's not slipping convict or slipping in conflict or whatever the hell. We don't have made up psychological terms to to, to explain why you getting killed. On my side we don't have systematic uh, rape going on at a level that leaves the entire planet. See, I'm not I'm not speaking for no institutions that represent rape beyond what entire countries are able to produce just inside the prisons. I'm not responsible for over a million people of one ethnicity that represent roughly 12 to 13% of the entire population. I'm not responsible for locking all of them up. I'm not responsible for putting them on slave plantations and pens just like your forefathers did for the last 400 years I'm not responsible for that on my side I ain't doing nothing to you so you can hate me all you want you can hate the message all you want you can hate the messenger I don't give a damn what we've got to do is get this information out here and stir up these folks that's asleep it's what Malcolm said that's my hobby stirring up Negroes. You damn right. That's my hobby. I'm gonna come on here and talk it until I can't do it no more. Scotty Reed got the keys to the machine. He cut me off if he don't like it. Far as I understand, we in agreement. This is a mess and this need to stop. So he gave me the opportunity. I'm gonna take it. The power's on the internet's on I got internet service and electricity so I don't know maybe you'll start there try to figure out how to cut me off because I'm going to talk about this this pisses me off every day I cannot believe that this is going on in this country I'm raising up sons on any given day I look at nine ten eleven little black boys that I just know and see and know their names I mean there's others too to go to the schools where the kids go to school, to participate in church activities and whatever from around the neighborhood or whatever. But I live in a predominantly white neighborhood where I grew up. We moved here in 1979. I've been living here for decades when it was a 15,000 people or something in the town. It's well over 100,000 people here now. It's blowing up. It's a nice little city or whatever. Everybody want to be in the suburbs. Okay, whatever. I've been here and I look at my sons and I look at my nephews and I look at all these little boys in the school programs and after school programs and the daycare programs and all of this that we got something to do with and I'm not going to take and pick one out of every four to send to prison I'm not going to do it I'm not going to take and pick one out of nine to put in front of a police firing squad I'm not going to do that so to not do what I'm doing that's what you're asking me to do and you got to be out your damn mind if you think that's what I'm about to do. It's just look at these little boys. I didn't change diapers on these children. I cut the umbilical cord on some of these children. I was the first person holding some of these children. Feed these kids. Change the diapers on these kids. Teach these children how to read, how to write. Teach them to tie their shoes. Teach them to ride their bikes. Run with them. Play with them. Teach them to play catch. Go to their little events and their little concerts and their plays and I've been there. I've seen it. I know them. I see them excited when it's their birthday, when it's their day they get to do it. I'm special or whatever, and they, I'm all in that. So what you're asking me to do is to sit up and just lie right to their face, turn my back on them. And just feed them to you so you can feed your bloodlust. Feed them to you so you can get your 40,000, 50,000, 70, 80, $100,000 a year, whatever you can milk out of them for their black backs. That's what you want me to do when you send me these messages, when you, when you make these things known to me that this is how you feel about what we talk about here. You want me to just give over this black skin to you for your abuse. That don't even make no sense. That don't make sense to you. You know you can't have it. You know you can't just have me do that. So you know I'm going to do what I'm doing here and more so that I don't talk about on the radio. I'm going to do this and more to protect because you won't stop killing. You won't stop over-policing, hyper-criminalizing over incarcerating readmitting into slavery you won't stop making slaves out of black people out of poor people out of the mentally ill yeah I know some of them too I know some of them straight up victims waiting to happen a burden on the family yes difficult to deal with yes Not a person I know that's got one that they fight with and deal with every day. Not a person I know is willing to let you come and put them in front of your damn firing squad. So we're going to do what we do here. We're going to do what we do. We're just going to do it until it's over. We're not going to stop. We're not going to slow down, talk nice. Hey, it's the truth. Everything I'm presenting is factual evidence. Stop doing it. Get a life, get a real life, actually do something with your life instead of persecuting people all the time. So, as far as that goes, we'll go to New York City health workers that are tired of helping you with your evil machine, too. New York City jail health workers say their medical ethics are often compromised by the demands of treating patients who are also prisoners, such as when they witness guards' use of force or asked to approve stints in solitary confinement according to a 1st of its kind city study. The two-year study at New York's sprawling Rikers Island jail complex concluded with a bold recommendation to remove health workers entirely from the most contentious issue they face, whether or not to put an inmate in solitary. That's because many doctors believe the confinement, which involves 23-hour stretches in isolation, could harm inmates. Yeah, that's been proven several times. That's a violation of the Eighth Amendment. That's been proven. There's no question about that. Internationally, we have been called out for that for decades. Internationally, right now, we won't allow the U.N. repertoire on on, uh, torture to even come into America and investigate that we've got nearly 100,000 people every day at any given time in solitary confinement inside of our prisons, which hold 2.4 million people every single day of the week. Whatever the security reasoning for placement is in such units, the participation of the health staff in this process is very cumbersome, time insensitive, and of questionable value, and does not reflect the patient-health provider interaction that is in the patient's best interest. This is set to be published in the June issue of Health and Human Rights Journal, so we'll be looking for that so we can get the lowdown on what's going on. Corrections officials didn't comment on the study's recommendation, but a spokeswoman for jails, Commissioner Joseph Ponte, said in a statement that in the past year, corrections and health officials have worked to improve conditions and reduce the use of solitary, including creating therapeutic housing units for seriously mentally ill inmates who have trouble following jailhouse rules. Tension between jail guards who focus on enforcing order and health workers who have taken an oath to protect patient health exists in lockups across the country. But experts have specifically cited... Such competing priorities is a problem that has played a role in neglect and poor treatment at Rikers Island. The 10 jail complex employs more than 9,000 guards, 1,400 health workers, 40% of the roughly 11,000 inmates have a mental health diagnosis, and many come in with long untreated health problems. The Associated Press reported last year that breakdowns in procedure and protocols may have contributed to 9 of 11 suicides at Rikers over the past five years. And the AP also uncovered documents over the same period that questioned the quality and timeliness of care in 15 inmate deaths that had been considered purely medical. Correctional health experts say the Rikers Health worker study, based on a review of thousands of health records, survey responses, focus groups, and interviews with 19 patients who hurt themselves while locked away, is perhaps the most comprehensive documentation in a U.S. correctional setting of the dual loyalties phenomenon. A bedrock principle is that the physician's primary ethic is to act in the interest of patients, says Scott, uh, Dr. Scott Allen, a professor at University of California, Riverside School of Medicine, who formerly served as the top medical official in Rhode Island's prisons. These conflicts are built into jails and prisons because of the conflicting missions of what security needs to do versus what medical needs to do. And again, this is just me telling you knowing history. This is again, just like we said. there is no policing without police brutality. It was created for brutality. There is no policing without racial profiling. It was created to racially profile the populace and find the black people and bring them back to the plantations. Same thing with in custody health care. There was never any medical professional sent to care for the slaves' health. They brought in the damn veterinarian, checked the cows, check the livestock check out what's going on with the animals oh yeah check my niggers that's how they did healthcare for Negroes on the plantation and they would like to go back to doing it like that now you know what healthcare was for black folks on the plantation what's the guy's name that started the um, gynecology Uh, was it Crawford Sam Crawford I have to find his name anyway this man is seen as being the father of gynecology. You know how he found out about about gynecology and how to develop and how most surgical techniques and medical techniques were developed? They experimented on black people like they were not even people. Hell, the Tuskegee, they weren't on a, on a plantation, but basically they were. These poor black folks just went on for, what, 40, 50 years into the 70s? Infecting black people with syphilis and then not treating them and just see how they react to that. How what what happens to these people? Because they know we got melanin and they know something about us is special. They know we got power, even when we don't recognize it. So just test us out. And the plantation is where they tested this out. they take the Negroes in they do their little surgeries some wouldn't live and this is obviously funded because when you kill these people I mean these folks now they just lost their property they just lost some money and the same thing going on now in these prisons they're testing things on people they're doing all kinds of little studies of what will happen if we do this or what happens if we don't do that. It's the same thing that was happening then, same thing happening now. So the medical community is conflicted over what do we do? We have to take care of people. We take the oath. We're trying to take care of health. We, we've got to do what we said we're going to do but at the same time we got our hands tied because we got this guard inmate relationship going on where people are getting beat on the regular and getting tortured and raped and the psychological damage being done people being thrown in the hole hell we could be trying to treat somebody and they get solitary and we don't see them again for six months they might die and we would i mean it's got to be frustrating if you actually want to help people be healthy and help them have a life it's got to be frustrating At Rikers, the study found more than one-third of mental health workers feel their ethics are regularly compromised. It also found health workers' independence is routinely challenged by guards' use of force, solitary, and even more mundane daily security practices. In a survey, more than 90% of health workers said they had treated an inmate for injuries noted in an official report as resulting from inmate-on-inmate fight while the inmate claimed he had actually been beaten by guards. See, if you keep looking, you will find the truth of what's going on in these situations. And when you find the truth, if <clears throat> if you just dig in, just dig your heels in and don't give up ground. When you find that, push forward. We're not giving up ground here. We're not finding out truths so we can figure out a way to back up a little bit and give them more room. We find the truth so we can tighten the thing around their neck. More than 90% of health workers said they have been treating inmates for inmate-on-inmate injuries that they told them straight out was the guards did it to them. We've already shown you. The ACLU has shown you. Over 60% of the rapes happening in the prisons and jails across the country is happening at the hands of the guards. Lawlessness. I just told you to start the program. How in the world are you going to enforce law against the people when your own law enforcement agencies and your own incarceration agencies are built on and run by the power of lawlessness? But it's it's up to you to accept this. It's up to you to... to, I mean, I'm just one guy, just one voice. All I can do is tell you the truth about the situation. About 70% of those health workers said they would either ask the guard to leave or call a supervisor, while 13% said they would ask the inmate to sign a report, as is while de- documenting the inmate's account in the electronic health record. A common theme is that inmate complaints of physical or mental illness are taken seriously by health workers, but viewed by guards as faking to get out of punishment, particularly solitary confinement known on Rikers as the Bing. Electronic health records examined in the study show that jail health workers often struggle with what to do with inmates who threaten to hurt themselves if they're put in solitary, even if they were thought to be a low risk of actually committing suicide. Those inmates are referred to by guards as Bing Beaters. Don't tell us that this inmate who came in fine yesterday and didn't have no problems all of a sudden now that it's time to go to the Bing, he's got psychological problems, said Norman Seabrook, president of the Correction Officers Benevolent Association. About 16% of health work Let me, I tried I wanted to just keep But Okay, the president of the Corrections Officers Benevolent Association Says to you I don't believe you medical care provider That this person has any kind of issues Because they were just fine yesterday Okay, they're going to solitary Because they're just fine Did you just contradict Your own self and what you just said Why are they going to solitary then Because they're just fine, right And you would only use solitary in the most extreme circumstances, right? That's what they say. It's not used as a punitive, it's not used as a threat. It's only brought about in the most extreme situations where for the safety of the inmate to protect their life and their health and to protect the health of other inmates, that sounds to me like somebody just having a serious psychological issues. You're not putting people in solitary because they stole some cookies. This ain't full metal jacket, that ain't private pile with the unlocked, uh, foot locker. Dump it out and there's the jelly donut. Oh hell, everybody's in trouble. Solid. No, this ain't that. You say your own self, Rikers Island. You say your own self, Correction Officers, Benevolent Association, all corrections officers that are in a position to represent the association and speak for it. You all say yourselves out your own mouth that you only use solitary in the most extreme situations. So you're in denial. That's why you won't, won't let the U.N. Current repertoire on torture, you won't let him in for the last eight years, I think. And before him, you wouldn't let his predecessor in either for like 10 straight years. You will not let these people come in from these international bodies that we use to figure out what's going on with human rights around the world. The same people you use to justify dropping bombs on 20 different countries on any given day 134 different conflicts we, we are engaged in, either actively dropping ordnance, either actively uh, pushing troops on the ground, or we are consulting in some type of a background and support role. In 134 different conflicts around the country, you use the U.N. to justify that. But you won't let the U.N. come in. The last two reporters on torture for over nearly 20 years now, you will not let them come into America to look at our situation of solitary confinement. But you'll let the president of the Corrections Officers Benevolent Association tell you, man, these guys are faking it, okay? They don't want to go to solitary, so they act like they're crazy. It's pretty simple. They don't want to admit that they beat each other up, so they blame us, and they try to get out of going solitary. But your own definition of sending somebody to solitary is that they are having an extreme breakdown. They are in extreme risk of hurting themselves or hurting someone else, so you need to segregate them. It doesn't make sense. That statement is completely ridiculous. About 16% of health workers said they have heard or seen guards beating inmates in a clinic, and they acknowledge in focus group discussions that they are worried about retaliation if they report this brutality. People don't feel supported here, so they have a mentality of, if I don't see anything, then I don't know anything, and that protects me, one health worker said in a focus group. Gabriel Eber, a lawyer with the American Civil Liberties Union National Prison Project who has worked on this issue, said correction systems across the country should conduct conduct similar studies. Above all considerations, the goal of any correctional health care system should be to meet the needs of the patient. No kidding. No freaking kidding. So from the Ferguson is America front. This is from Bridgeton. Where it says they came, uh, Bristol New Jersey. and This is our our abolitionist uh, friend Bob Whitnick from uh, Decarcerate the Garden State. So shout out to Bob. He's always sending me information and, and sharing back and forth. And is definitely we're fighting for the same goals. It says they came with a message for city officials: stop locking up your residents over petty crimes and reduce your incarceration rate. Decarcerate the Garden State, a New uh, North Jersey-based group. That advocates for vastly reducing incarceration rates in New Jersey and U.S. prisons Visited the city on Saturday to inform people about mass incarceration An issue that the group says primarily targets and punishes impoverished minorities The event was held at the Church of the Resurrection So there you go again, even if you hate church, you don't believe in God You, you want to kill Creflo Dollar or whatever your problem is Look, give us some place else where people are meeting Go back into slavery and look for yourself Absalom Jones, look him up. Robert Allen, look him up. This is 1700s negroes fighting against slavery. What do they have? The church. You say what you want to say. You make all the memes you want to make on white man's internet, on the white man's computers, on the white man's other all this stuff is white folks made it, but you go on here and create these memes to say white folks gave you religion, so that's why you believe in Jesus and you fight with each other. But slavery still going on and still victimizing your people. So you tell me what makes sense about that. But anyway, back to the story. So the event was held at Church Resurrection on East Commerce Street. It had a sparse turnout. Less than 20 people showed up, and the keynote speaker canceled at the last minute. But the group's founder, Bob Whitneck, took the lead and spoke fervently on mass incarceration throughout the state and the country, citing that the U.S. holds 25% of the world's prisoners, despite only making up just 5% of the world's population. The only way for solutions is to educate ourselves, Whitnick said at the top of the event. He asked attendees to sign a petition that identifies five key issues the group says the city must address and has the power to address. He's calling on the city's leadership to change its thinking as to how, it's poli- uh, as to how it polices its residents. The Cumberland County Prosecutor's Office is locking up people over tiny offenses. They're going draconian, they're trying to get people on little charges. The group's petition calls for, number one, a dismissal of those with pending charges who were arrested for low-level offenses. Number two, an immediate moratorium on low-level marijuana arrests. Number three, an ordinance for the decriminalization of marijuana similar to what Philadelphia has done in decriminalizing the possession of small amounts of marijuana for personal use. Number four, a new direction for police putting an end to stop and frisk and broken window type law enforcement. Number five, a resolution to urge the State Assembly Senator-Governor to introduce and pass the New Jersey Decarceration Act, which calls on state leadership to reduce New Jersey's incarceration rate by 20% in the next in the first two years and by 50% over the next four years. Whitnick believes the bill should grant the release of those in prison for nonviolent, simple drug possession, and small-scale economic offenses. Furthermore, he believes City Mayor Albert Kelly's heart is in the right place and trusts that the mayor will help facilitate some type of concrete action in the near future. As mayor... He can tell the prosecutor and the police department what offenses should be a priority. Just like they did in Ferguson. Only in their case, they said everything's a priority. Get whatever you can, and people start getting $200 tickets for the grass being too high. DeAndre Lewis, 23 of Bridgeton, showed up at the event on Saturday after seeing a flyer near the church. Lewis, standing next to 20-year-old Bridgeton resident Drew Medola, said they were in favor of the petition. Everyone deserves a second chance, he says. I've gotten two tickets for jaywalking, he said. frustrated. There they go again with Ferguson. That damn jaywalking. I almost got one a couple of years ago, and I didn't really pay attention to what was going on, but I mean, I I got in the crosswalk. I was crossing the street at the corner, and I was like the crosswalk is, say, uh, six feet wide, let's say, with the big white stripes. I was probably five feet outside of the crosswalk at the same corner, crossing the street at the same green light walk signal that, like 9 o'clock at night, I was going across the street to a 7-Eleven. State trooper just happened to be rolling up the block. It's a pretty main street. it, it You know, whatever, this is the after dark, and it's pretty slow. There was no traffic. He was the only car, which I saw was a state trooper, because I could see clearly a car coming up the block, and I could see the lights on top of it. But I had the green light. I stepped off that curb. He pulled right up to that curb and shined that spotlight in my direction. Hey, getting a crosswalk okay, yes sir I got in the crosswalk and I made my way on across the street and I was just waiting for him to find some other reason cause here I am a black man out after dark, what the hell I'm sure he, if he had any kind of facial recognition or had any kind of any tools at all, I'm sure he used them, flipped through his wanted uh tablet or whatever to see if he recognized my face or whatever, God's grace was on me, I didn't get broke down, but so, yeah, they own that Jaywalk and I got a ticket for not having a horn on my bicycle. They just won't have any reason to stop you. This dude said he got a ticket for not having a horn on his bicycle. So, as we've told you before, Ferguson is America. This is Ferguson going on in Bridgeton, New Jersey. And i have to post the uh, the link to the uh story that's specifically talking about the DOJ report from the Socialist Alternative where well, they go into depths of talking about the DOJ report and comparing, you know, the war on poverty and their ideas of what we can do, uh, considering civilian review boards, um, independent, anti-racist candidates that come from the communities, stop militarization of the police, creating a $15 minimum wage, guaranteeing jobs, massive investment in public education, transit, health care. I mean, this is all stuff that fixes the problems that was going on in Ferguson, keeping those people trapped for years. So I'll post that report. Our, um, unexplainable black death is, uh, Timothy Stansbury. I don't know that we'll have time to go into depths of, uh, talking about his story today, but another sad one. Uh, this is one I believe, uh, Max Parth related to me before that he actually, uh, remembers very well and, and part of how he came into, you know, his, his, uh, abolitionist awakening to some degree uh, the shooting of timothy stansbury occurred in new york city on january twenty fourth night or two thousand four stansbury was an unarmed nineteen-year-old new york city man who was shot and killed by new york city police department officer richard s Neary jr nary and a partner were patrolling the rooftop of a housing project in bedford stuyvesant neighborhood of brooklyn about one a.m nary with his gun drawn approached the rooftop door to check stairway inside Neri testified to a Brooklyn grand jury that he fired his standard Glock 19 pistol unintentionally when he was startled and Stansbury pushed open the rooftop door. Stansbury, a resident of an adjoining building, died from one shot in the chest. The grand jury found the the shooting to be accidental. So this is just a harbinger for you to remember about. Akai Gurley killed in pretty much the exact same way and our friend uh, and underground railroad conductor Ken Thompson, the uh, DA in Brooklyn, has an opportunity to do something that his uh, predecessor, Charles Hines, who was obviously a criminal, working in cahoots with people like Lewis Garcella to up his prosecution rates, conviction rates, for decades. Ken Thompson has a chance to not let this same thing go down. So you heard it here. Timothy Stansbury, RIP, our unexplainable black death profile for today. This is the weekend, people. Peace to the abolitionists. Death to the oppressors. I'm out. Stay safe.